Liz Sumner, and this is I Always Wanted To, the podcast where I interview people who are doing things that others long to do. What have you always wanted to try? Hi, everyone. Before we start, I just wanted to welcome our new listeners and subscribers. I really appreciate your support. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're really a fan, I'm now on Patreon. Most of all, I'm just glad you're here. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Isabella Bedoya, founder of Fame Hackers. She helps independent artists establish profitable and sustainable music careers so they can get paid doing what they love. Welcome, Isabella. Thank you, Liz, for having me here. I'm excited. (laughs) Me too. I'm really excited to hear about what you do because I know an awful lot of underpaid and underappreciated musicians. And uh, I want to hear about the how, but before we get there, tell me about your background. How did you get into A&R and what is it? Sure, that's a great question. Um, I actually have a really unusual story. So I actually used to be a private chef. (laughs) When I moved to Los Angeles, I got my first job uh, in a studio while I was working as a chef um, for families. And from there, I just started networking. Like I knew that I wanted to be in music. So I started networking. That like job in a studio led to, it was like an internship that led to Uh, meeting someone that actually owned a label under Sony Music and they were looking for interns as well so then I ended up working with them and then from there I just kind of like grew with them and it turned from an internship then they made me like head of A&R and then I had my own interns at their studio at their label and it was it was like a really interesting experience so an A&R a lot of people actually don't know what this means Um, even I did I didn't even know what it meant when I was like working this uh this position when I was starting off so essentially it stands for like artists and repertoire and essentially what it means is as an A&R you're not only in charge of like finding talent and like discovering talent you're also in charge of like helping them develop so for example if you find an artist and they're talented and and uh let's say you get them signed with a label now your job is to be like the liaison between the artist and the label so it's a really it's like it's one step above a manager where you're not necessarily dedicating your whole entire life to them, but you're dedicating a lot of time to making sure that they're developing. Did you have a, a or did this label have a particular focus? What what kind of music were you working with? Sure. So they were called Trend Def. Um, they worked with a lot of like rappers, a lot of up and coming rappers. Some of the bigger names, like when I was there, at least some of the bigger names now, uh, Rich the Kid, Famous Dex. Uh, they worked a lot with um, uh, Sean Kingston. They worked a lot with like Snoop Dogg and French Montana and a bunch of other rappers. So it was it was mainly like hip hop driven. It was an interesting. <laughs> it was a really interesting experience. Was that a style of music that you were really into before you took the position or did you grow to appreciate it? So I liked hip hop, but one thing that I realized, I I don't necessarily like working in the hip hop industry. I, I don't know. It's just like not for me. But the I mean, the music's good. I haven't really heard it that much anymore. 
if I had a preference, um, I would like I would have rather worked with like an EDM label or like even a pop label. But it was just one of those things that you learn as you go. And, and I didn't really know the hip hop industry that well until I was in it. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting experience. I don't know what EDM is. Tell me what EDM is. Oh, that's uh, electronic dance music. Okay. So that's like your DJs. Yeah. <laughs> and are you a musician yourself? I mean, I have this guitar right here. <laughs> I just found it in my garage. Um, I, I'm not really a musician. I, I have like the guitar I used to play when I was in high school. And now I've been playing around with it. So I'm like, hmm, maybe I should also, uh, mm -hmm. you know, lead by example. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you worked with a label, but then now you're working directly with musicians on your own. What, tell me about that transition. So when I was working with them, I realized that as long as, well, first of all, the way that I would look for talent and the way that I was trained to look for talent was to go on social media and check out people's social medias, make sure that they're like legit followings, that everything's real. And then from there, invite them in for a, for a meeting or for a consultation. Well, when I realized that all you really need social media, right? Because everything else comes by default. So if you understand social media, you can build a fan base. If you understand e-commerce, you can sell merch, you can sell ticket sales, you can sell a bunch of other stuff. So every artist should actually be focused on learning uh, social media and e-commerce so that they don't have to be in these like hard predicaments of like, how am I going to pay for my life when I have to do this and then work a job? So I realized that and that, that was like a driving factor. Then I heard from uh, a few of my friends. I wasn't working with them. And, um, I wasn't working with them, but I knew that they were like getting signed to labels and they were like in the process of also becoming like really successful with their music and the problem was that once they signed uh, this happened to like a handful of my friends once they signed they got shelved and what that means is uh, I don't know if you've heard it Liz but what that means is essentially you get signed and then they take away all the budget so there's no more marketing budget there's no more production budget there's no more like there's no budget all of a sudden there's no nothing so what happens is for this one particular case and example, he signed a four, I think a five-year agreement and he got shelved, meaning he can't really produce anything because if he produces something, it has to be out of his own pocket and then the label gets to keep a really big percentage. That's not fair. And, uh, and a lot of the times they won't even like let you produce anything on your own. So like without permission. So I didn't like that. I thought that was like terrible. And then I started digging into it more. And I found out that I think the statistic, it's something really high like this. I'm, it's not, I'm not hundred percent sure if this is accurate, but it's like 95% of people that get signed. They're just like the tax write-offs for the 5% of artists that actually uh, use most of the label's resources. And the 5% being your Beyonce's, your Kanye's, your, your, your bigger artists. So I don't like that at all. I don't like that because I see that as silencing an artist. And if you're getting signed to a label, you think you're doing it because you're going to push your music even further, but it's just holding you back for like five years. So I was going to ask you, what's the reason why labels would shelve people? But I think you answered it, that they, <laughs> they're doing it for, for the tax reasons. Is, is there any other reason why they would shelve somebody? So they just take away the budget. So I don't, again, I don't know like how accurate this might be, but what something that I've heard 
is the reason why they do it is that, like if they if they think that you're becoming sort of a competition to one of the bigger artists kind of like a danger uh, they just like sign you and then they don't do anything with you um uh, but but yeah these are these are like these are two facts that i read online when i was just doing a lot of research so okay. uh yeah you gotta be careful who you sign with <laughs> am i understanding you correctly that these days it's possible for a musician to to do something on his or her own and and make money without a label is that is that the way it is now absolutely i mean you can totally do it it really depends on if you're willing to put in the hard work but you can totally do it and there's a lot of artists that are that are already being successful with this the cool thing is if you can actually generate revenue with your music you can then hire your own teams so you don't necessarily have to you know be in a label to do that and then the other good thing too is that you don't you don't give away your ownership rights you know you get to keep your royalties then you're not on the news like in 2020 i don't know if you heard of uh taylor swift and kanye west mm -hmm. they were both like fighting for their masters and essentially their original recordings so it can uh it can save you a lot of trouble down the road i get it okay so tell me about the hard work what does somebody have to be prepared to do um, that's a great question. So hard work. So the first thing is, and this is something a lot of artists do, they have to, first of all, take full responsibility for their music career. Um, the second that you start leaving it in the hands of a marketer or leaving it in the hands of a publicity person or agency, you're already failing because you can't, like, you can't just put your success in someone else's hands. When it comes to hard work, another thing that a lot of artists do they go straight away and they, they hire that marketing person or they hire that publicity agency or they hire that manager even. And that's like a huge mistake because first of all, a lot of the times it's like a rare case that an artist has a lot of money to, to, to burn. So a lot of the times you're dealing with limited budgets, you know, it's like, it's like, I want to say like even like 90 plus percent of the time you're dealing with a limited budget. So when you're starting off, you first have to test, you have to test, what platform is going to work for you? You have to test what audience is going to work for you. And if you're paying for that, you're like, there's just not a uh, limitless amount of money that you can use to like test that. So the way that you would do it is through actually starting doing your social media on your own and doing it correctly. You know, like don't buy followers, don't buy comments, don't buy likes, don't do any of that because people see right through it. So the first thing is like understand how social media works and actually work social media, especially now in the pandemic where a lot of things are closed and, and shows are canceled and a lot of artists have a lot of downtime. And I know a lot of artists are stressing out because they can't get into the studio, but it's the perfect time to actually grow your fan base because here's why. If you grow your fan base, you essentially, this is how an artist operates. An artist is essentially a brand, okay? So the brand, in order to create brand loyalty, that's for you to like last the test of time. You have to have like your core values and it's something that people can resonate with. So when you're building this movement, this culture, this community, all this brand has to do is create offers, monetize the offers essentially. So now the people, the brand, the people that have brand loyalty, they will buy the offers. You'll get revenue coming in. You can fund your life and then you can fund further services. Tell me about the offers that you're describing. What, what, what does that mean to create an offer? 
So the offers, um, that's a good question. So offers essentially is anything like that you can sell. So it can be like merch, it can be Patreon, and we've heard Patreon a lot. I don't know if you've heard of Patreon where it's like membership signups. There's actually like the way that, at least the way that I, I like to do it, this is a concept adapted from Russell Brunson, which he essentially talks about this like value ladder and it looks like this like step thing. And essentially at the very bottom, you have your $0 entry offer, which is usually something you give away for free for an email. And the something that you give away can be something digital. It could be like a lyric sheet, a music sheet, whatever it is, uh, even a picture or a poster or whatever. So you usually give away something for $0 for your the digital download. Then you want to give something around um, $10 or yeah, it's like around the $10 mark. And that's kind of like where your, your merch starts coming in because that can be like, picks that can be like like guitar picks that can be maybe like a hat maybe some glasses like something that's like not really costly to make and you sell that for like around ten dollars so now they start getting tangible items you become more real in their world the next step should be around this one is your monthly recurring revenue so it's up to you how you price it you can price it at 47 dollars a month you can price it at 97 dollars a year or if they pay monthly ten dollars a month so it comes out to like 120 a year. And the cool thing is if you if you get a thousand people, like a thousand fans to actually purchase your monthly recurring revenue op- option, that's a hundred K. Like that's a hundred K in revenue. You know, it's literally all- What are some things. examples of things that somebody does monthly? What, uh, what, what would they get, what so, does somebody get? So the monthly one, the monthly option, you could do something like, uh, that would be like your Patreon, for example where you can say like for $10 a month or for like $20 a month, you get access to uh, songs that are not released. You get access to maybe like a lyric book. You get access to maybe uh, once a month, you do like a, a full fan club Zoom where you all get, cause we're, you know, we have to be digital now. So um, you all get to meet. And then once the pandemic's over, maybe like when when we're allowed to travel and all that, that can turn into like like actual physical events. But for now, you can just keep it all digital, you know, like a meet and greet online, a private show for your fans. You know, it's just it's just getting creative with this process. So the monthly recurring revenue is something that or like the membership option is something that you think, how can this add value to my fans? Like, how can I bring them even closer to my world? Give them a little bit of like your 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 community feel. And then the other offers are like your more high, higher ticket where it's like your private shows where people bring you in and if you want to get hired for like to be a, a key, like a keynote speaker or like play music at a keynote speaking event. And yeah, it just goes up and up. So that, that could be some of the options. That could be some of the offers. But again, the offers is something you become creative with. Another thing you could also do is if you find brands or companies that are similar to what your audience likes, you can partner with them and then you can do joint venture partnerships. So that way you get affiliate, like you get a commission for every sale or even the brand sometimes will pay you just to post about them. So those are like a few ways to like monetize. Is there any style of music or musician that that this works particularly well for or works that you would not recommend this system to to a, a, another type of musician is there is there a range not really this works with everyone because we're all online there's no uh there's no age limit or no genre limit for the internet 
So as long as you understand who your audience is, it'll work well because they actually want more of you and then you also want to help them more. So it just has to be like a mutual thing where, where you know your fans enough that you're engaging them. What if you don't know your fans well enough? What, how, how, do you, how does one find out who their audience is? That's a great question. <laughs> um, surprisingly, this is a, a problem that a lot of people struggle with. So instead of going by, because this is like the common thing to do, to go to your Spotify or to go to your Instagram, to go to your Facebook and check analytics. Instead of just like, I call that settling, right? Because you're settling for the traffic that you're getting. But if you're a little bit more intentional and you actually go for the for the audience that you want, that's going to make an even more beautiful music career because it's going to be super synergistic. You guys are going to love each other. Um, and when you're playing live at shows, the energy is just going to be insane. They're going to be having fun. You're going to be having fun from their fun. So when you think about who your ideal fan is, you want to think about a few factors. Like, for example, the first thing you want to figure out is instead of going after like the age and the cities and all the different like interests and all the different things that we've been taught to do think about them first like think about them as a friend like an imaginary friend pretend you're at a party and you're just like talking to random people what does that person look like and then when you have kind of like that idea in your head which is a little bit hard to imagine but when you have that idea in your head then you start kind of like dissecting it apart but not so much by the age and not so much by the interests more so by the pains and pleasures. So for example, what's your, what's your music about Liz? My husband is a songwriter. He's a very eclectic songwriter. He prides himself on a really uh, wide range. So it's very hard to pick a genre. And I'm a singer and we have a five piece band that plays these strange mix of, of music from uh, bossa nova to gilbert and sullivan and we mostly just entertain ourselves awesome so it's like for entertainment do you have also originals oh it's all originals that's oh, okay that's, okay. that's the it. only thing we do okay cool when you were when you were creating the uh the music is there like a storyline be behind maybe like a few of the songs a common storyline that would be hard to pin down. I will have to think about that. Cool. So in the meantime, let's go with the fact that it's for entertainment purposes, right? Okay. Um, so it's just to entertain your, like, not just your band, but you also want to entertain the audience, correct? Yes, of course. Okay. So, and this also goes back to uh, when people aren't confident. So to like, the first thing is when you understand that you're, that you're doing it for entertainment purposes, the pains and pleasures are similar to this. The pain could be something like people that are feeling bored. You know, it, it, it hurts to be bored. It's like, what do you do with your time? You, you want to move towards a pleasure. You want to move towards fun. Another pain, maybe you're just uh, super stressed out. And that's a huge pain, you know? So now when you start figuring out the pains um, and even the pleasures, for example, the pleasures could be like you actually, you know, it's like Friday. I want to go out and listen to music and have fun, you know? Then the other thing is also personalities, because you want to make sure that the personalities vibe well. And that's something that you kind of figured out from the imaginary friend. So now when you have the pains and pleasures, now it's like, all right, it doesn't necessarily matter the age range. It doesn't necessarily matter the type of clothes they wear. But when you're creating your, your marketing stuff on social media, you can say like, it's Friday night. Who's ready to listen to some music? Who's with me? Click the link below. We just dropped a new song. 
that is so much more effective than just saying new song on Spotify, everyone go stream it. And this happens, I see this like all the time, artists are like, go check out my new song. And, and if you just had a little bit of a marketing hook right before it, where people can actually relate, you know, like yesterday I was talking to someone that makes music about her coping through divorce and, or like her, her parents getting divorced. And she wrote this music because she was feeling lonely. And then I was just like, okay, so you know how many people actually go through this feeling? Like, write your, whenever you release a song, say like, hey, if your parents have ever been divorced, you know, you got to listen to this. Or, or, you know, for all the divorced children out there, this song's for you. It's so much more uh, effective. So then you start attracting the audience because now it's like, the, you know that this is the type of audience you want. They're, they're coming to you, they're flocking to you, and they feel like they can connect because you're addressing their pain points or you're addressing their pleasure points and to make it even a little bit of a deeper statement also when you because this is this is like a really common thing for a lot of artists too where they just feel like that they're not confident enough to be on social media they're a little bit more introverted but when you place it in a mindset of like just it's a little bit of a mindset reframe instead of looking at it from like me showing up for the artist you have to look at it from if I don't show up for the audience, what's going to happen to them? And in the case of like the artist that's making music for other people that are going through a parent divorce, that is, it kind of becomes her fault that everyone else is feeling lonely, you know, because you're not putting yourself out there. So, and also like with your band, Liz, it, it started like take that reframe of like, it's kind of becomes your fault if people are not having fun. It, it kind of becomes your fault if people are not being entertained. And now it's like, oh my gosh, I got to get out there, you know? <laughs> That's brilliant. That is really brilliant. I know a, a lot about online marketing from other aspects of my life, but I haven't ever heard somebody describe it so well as to how it can be used for, for musicians. It, this makes a great deal of sense. So what about just marketing the songwriting? Is, the, is that possible with your system? You can totally just market the songwriting. Um, so in terms of like putting it in the uh, value ladder, yeah, mm -hmm. you can totally do that because you could also offer that as uh, you could offer the lyrics as maybe like that can be the download. You can also offer like part of the monthly membership. You could do like maybe like a 30 minute monthly class of how to write your own music or you could just release a songwriting class on, on its own. There's a lot of revenue going in the e-learning space. So mm -hmm. even if, and a lot of artists are doing this right now, they're creating their own courses. So that could also be an option. Well, but rather than just than teaching songs, is there path for selling songs to be used by other artists? Yes. Uh, one of the clients that works with me also, actually, that was one of the first things that we did. We sold a couple of his songs. So when you're selling songs, essentially, you want to find other artists, like the way at least that, that we did it, we just went on Facebook groups and we just looked for people that were looking for producers or like similar music. And then we just connected with a lot of people until someone wanted to buy the songs. But a little bit of a more streamlined process is like, find, for example, um, full out buyout or also like sync and licensing, for example. I'm just learning about sync songs. So tell me more. Cool. So sync, sync and licensing, one of the, the easier ways to do it, because it's also a really competitive space, one of the easier ways to do it is to go to this website. First of all, figure out what kind of brands or what kind of movies or shows you can see your music in. Then 
the easiest part, uh, place to get placements in is in commercials. So if you actually look for brands, you go to this website, adsoftheworld.com. And when you go to adsoftheworld.com, you look for the brand that you're looking for, or you look for the topic of interest that you're looking for. And then you can see all the commercials that have been created. So when you're looking at all the commercials, you can then see the production houses. And you want to reach out to the production houses. You want to reach out to, within the production house, you want to reach out to the person in charge of the music. And that is like one of the easiest ways to actually get your music placed or at least create like partnerships with production houses to keep you in mind for future collaborations. And also, I've tried this already with a couple artists as well. And one of them led to a voiceover. We ended up pitching like a song and then they're like, oh, we love your voice. Can we just have you in for a voiceover? So it opens up new opportunities. It's really, really cool. So again, it just goes with putting yourself out there. Those are excellent ideas. Um, we have tried something called Music Gorilla. Are you familiar with that? And do you have an opinion? Sounds familiar. Um, is that for, for singing? No, it's for, it's a, a clearinghouse for that where they let you know what people are looking for, a type of song that meets these criteria. And you pay a small amount to pitch the song. And then you never hear anything ever again. So that's that's my objection to that, is that they don't ever tell you uh, why or why not something was was selected. And so I'm I'm not sure whether it's a scam. We've sent a couple of things in that I would have thought would get some kind of feedback, but nothing. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of places like that. I don't normally recommend that route because kind of take away the control of it. But if you are pitching yourself, you can kind of control who you're pitching to, what you're pitching uh, for. And I think even though it's a little bit more legwork, at least you're being not only like just being a little bit more proactive, this goes ties into like the hard work, you know, because it does take a little bit of time to find the emails. It does take a little bit of research, but also the pros are that you're actually creating connections for yourself. You're putting your name out there and you're not going through another service. I'm not discrediting the service. There's a lot of pitching services. There's a lot of different uh, publication houses and, and there's a lot like taxi.com, I think is another one that's like super big for single licensing, but, and there's a lot of people have success with it, but I like to take the approach of like form the connections for yourself at least in the beginning, you know, when you're starting off and you're uh, maybe you don't have a, a big fan base or you don't have a, um, your name's not out there yet. If you do it for yourself, if you do it by yourself, it, it opens up more doors. That makes good sense. What are some things to avoid? What are some scams that are out there that people should be really aware of? It's a good one. There's a lot of scams. <laughs> well, the first one is the social media, as I was saying, you know, don't buy the followers, don't buy the shout outs. There's a lot of people that sell that. I particularly don't like playlisting services because I come from the mindset that if your fan base loves you, you know, if you actually build a loyal fan base, then the stream, the streaming comes up like on its own. It's a byproduct. Your streaming goes up. Uh, your merch goes up, like everything, it, it's kind of like, you know, it, it just makes sense. If if you're gaining more popularity, everything else is gaining popularity. So I would avoid against places that are also charging you to pitch mm-hmm. or people that charge you to pitch just because it's never guaranteed. And 
And like I said in the beginning, artists don't have a lot of budget to to actually gamble away so much money where it's like, you know, you take away control. Another thing too is when you do hire like people to work with, make sure that you vet them, make sure that they have enough experience in the industry, especially with now with the pandemic, there's a huge rise in, in marketing. And just because you take like a thousand dollar course on marketing doesn't necessarily make you a marketing expert. And, uh, and that's something that I learned too. You know, I, I, I took the courses, I invested a lot into, into consultants and that was actually what accelerated it for me when I started investing into actual consultants to be a part of my world and it accelerated everything for me. And I think a lot of artists would also benefit from something like that, but they just have to be careful who they work with. Be careful if you sign to a label, you have to make sure you read the contract, get an enter entertainment lawyer. If you do want to sign to a label, don't get me wrong. That's a good, that's also a good thing, but it's better to do it once you have leverage that means you generate money and you generate uh, enough attention that now you can you can actually negotiate a better deal. How much leverage does one need? How, when do people start noticing you? How big a following do you need before you get attention? That also depends on like your your goals, right? So if your goal is to be like the next Beyonce, then yeah, you, you need a lot of attention. But if your goal is just to live a comfortable life from it, you don't necessarily need that much. So for someone to gain attention, for a label to get attention, I, I mean, going back to what I used to do is for a label, I remember we used to start upwards of like 10K, but legit, like it had to be legit. Anywhere, anyone below 10K, it was like, they're good, they're on our radar. But for the, for the purposes of that label that I worked with, now, if you're talking about a major label, I would go with anything over a, a couple hundred thousand and even like a million, which you can do because TikTok and Instagram Reels, they help you go viral. So your music can actually go viral really, really fast and really soon if you know how to use the platforms correctly. And how much, it, it really just depends. You know, I, I know an artist right now, he has like, I think closer to 11,000 and he's already talking to a label, but the only thing missing there is the revenue. So that's also something that labels take into consideration because if you think of a, a label, it's nothing more than just an investor and they invest into you. And the only way that an investor feels safe investing into you is if, if they can see a clear return on investment. Yeah. So that's something to keep in mind, but yeah, it just, it, it really depends. It depends also on, on who you're pitching to, you know, the, the indie labels won't require that much, but the major labels will re require a lot more. I'm pretty sure that my audience isn't in the, the uh, 100,000 or million fans range. However, could be, could be wrong. <laughs> so what, what's some really beginning basic steps for working your music on Spotify? What does one need to do to start out? So the first thing is like understand uh, who you are as an artist and like actually understand what's the message that you want to put out, what your uh, artist identity is essentially. And then you want to understand your fans. So you're building community. Then the next step is to like start being active on social media. And what that means is essentially there's one way when this is, I know, a really common question too of like, well, okay, what do I even post? You know, like what content do I create? Like, I don't have time for that. And, and I've, I've heard it all, but 
look at it from this perspective. This woman, her name's Jenna Kutchner. She calls this method the JK5. And essentially it's you create, you figure out five pillars of your life that you want to share online. So on your phone, you create five albums. So that way you're not only sharing about your music life because that's also that also gets boring. People like we're multifaceted. People like to see all the layers of a human. And it could be the little tiniest thing like you drinking coffee in the morning that makes your fan be like, oh my gosh, just like me. You know, it's like the silliest things. So when you think about five pillars, for example, you could, one could be family. One could be uh, your pets, if you have any pets. The other one could be your music. The other one could be like any other hobbies that you like or any sports. And then the other one can be also like another hobby or something else that you like to do. So when you have these five categories, now you put five albums on your phone and every single day of your life, as you're touching on all these five points, because these are things that you're actively doing, you take a picture and you just snap a picture and continue living your life. On a Sunday or a Saturday, whichever you prefer on the weekend, you sit down and you go through your five albums of photos and you schedule out your social media. Like there's a tool that I absolutely love called later.com. Uh, they have a free version and then they have a paid version. And I highly recommend the $25 a month for the paid version because you see analytics, you can like, you see so much more information. So if you go with data, you can grow better because you can make smart decisions. You just schedule out your content. And now people get to see a little bit of, of maybe your morning routine. Then they get to see like your, your band, they get to see something else about music, then your family. And then when you put it like that, now you become a relatable person. So when you're writing the captions, that's when you start tying in the pain points and the pleasure points, because that's empty real estate. You know, if you just say like, look at us, we're just having a blast. It's like you could have used that little space to communicate with your audience. You don't necessarily have to tie it back to the picture, but you could always just say something that like occurred to you today or that day and going back to the pains. I have this whiteboard and every single Sunday I write 12 pain points that I've been hearing throughout the week or something, you know, like, because I'm really active also in the music community, like I'm always talking to artists. So every time I get on a call, and I start hearing similar patterns, I write it down. And every week, it's surprising, because every week, the, the pain points change, because the pandemic, or the news, or current events. So when I get to create content, I look quickly at my 12 pain points. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. And I write the captions addressing some of the some of the issues. So that way that you all, you also stay timely. Another thing too is how do you even find the fans, right? So we have the content down. How do we find them? Well, if you know who they are, you can probably figure out that there's already a bunch of Facebook groups out there. So you just infiltrate the Facebook groups essentially. <laughs> and instead of coming off as like, listen to my new music, just show up in the groups as a human being and relate about the same subject, be active in the groups. And you'll start gaining friends just the way that, that you would gain friends on a Facebook group anyway. But then you tie in the fact that you have music and it's like, it's a game over because your music serves that audience. And hashtags, also hashtags are absolutely amazing. Like just uh, for that, you just have to go on different tools or just even on Instagram, it'll tell you how many people are following the hashtag. So Liz, do you think your audience has less than 10,000 followers? Yes, at least at the moment. Yes? Okay, <laughs> perfect. So here's the strategy for the 10,000 followers, uh, for less than 10,000 followers. You want to use three hashtags, three okay. hashtags that have over a million 
but up to 5 million uh, posts in it. Then you want to use between 10 to 15 of the medium, which is essentially 10K to 100K. It's like 10K to 100K posts. And it'll tell you, if you go on Instagram and you put like hashtag positivity, it'll say like 2 million blah, blah, blah posts. So this is a little bit of research. So when you figure out your target audience, I think you'd also go on like hashtag expert, I think is a tool or hashtagify um, or just Google like a hashtag generator thing and then look on Instagram and look for them. So it's three or one to 5 million, 10 to 15 are going to be your 10K to 100K. Um, 10 to 15 additional hashtags, is that what yeah, you're saying? Total, you want to okay. have around 25, 25 to 30. So 10 to 15 are your 10K to 100K. Another five are your 100K to 500K posts and then the remainder are under 10,000 between a thousand to 10,000 posts so what yeah so do you have this written down anywhere do you have a giveaway I do (laughs) I will want to put that in the show notes okay cool but yeah I do because I know it's a little bit confusing and on on that same pdf I also have like the how the value ladder works Because I know those two things are like a little bit more visual. And who Um, are your ideal clients? Who should be thinking that, gee, I need to hire Isabella? (laughs) Well, uh, that's a great question. So for the, so I have like two, two options, right? I have a boot camp, which is like a five day thing. It's a five day training. And I do it like around every six weeks. The ideal client for the bootcamp is essentially anyone that is struggling to find a fan base because it's literally a grow your fan base bootcamp. Anyone that's struggling to find a fan base, anyone that doesn't really know, it kind of feels lost with the direction of where to go, like even how to how to find their audience. I know a lot of the stuff we covered in here today. It's also for the for the artists that the ones that I particularly like to work with are people that have like more of a positive message. I tend to like stray away from, I don't know, like I just, I just, it doesn't resonate well with me when it's like darker messages or like, I don't know. That's something that I've actually been like working on this past few months. I've found that I actually enjoy it a lot more and, and I can help them a lot more, a lot better because I understand more how the whole like positivity and it's almost like very close to there I know there's like a lot of light workers that they write they they write music that's very empowering and I don't I still don't know what the genre is some someone said it could be like new age and I said yeah but new age is like a lot of like spa music so I'm not necessarily like like genre biased as long as it's like uh for example in hip-hop they call it like the conscious rappers which is like the rappers that are writing about you know like like actual things happening and they're being like empowering. So I think any artist that just wants to have an impact with their music, and that's the biggest thing because everything else is subjective. You know, if, if your songs are, are entertaining, for example, at least you're leaving an impact that you're creating fun for people. So as long as you're with that intention and not just after like, I just want to make music because I want a Lamborghini, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I hear that often. I want to make music because I want to be famous, which is 
ironic because my company is called Fame Hackers. <laughs> and even then, like I, I wrote, uh, the reason why it's called Fame Hackers is actually very intentional. It stands for Foundation, Audience, Monetization, and Exposure. Oh, that's that. good. <laughs> and do you have that um, written down too? I'd love to put that in the in the show notes too. That visually represent where the name comes from. Yeah, I can I can totally um, add that in there because. Uh, it's, it's really ironic and it's so ironic because a lot of people will say if, if they can make you famous, run away. But it's like, yeah, but but if they can make you famous following this four-step process, now it's like a tangible result. One thing I also realized, everyone's level of fame or everyone everyone's goals are directly correlated to how famous they want to be, which is also super interesting. So, yeah. Say more about that. So for example... Let's say that you your goal is to be the best band in town. That means that your goals are going to be your, like, that's your level of fame. You want to be the best band in town. That means that your goals are normally going to be like, you want to play at the best bars or you want to play at the best venues. But if your goal is like, I want to be the best touring artist ever, now your goals are like, okay, well, that means we have to get you like a few million followers. We have to like, you know, it, it's a bigger process. So it's really interesting because you'll never get someone saying like, I want a million followers, but I want to be the best band in town because it, mm-hmm. it just doesn't mm-hmm. add up. And mm-hmm. it was something I had that epiphany a few months ago. And I was like, that is so interesting. I never really like saw it that way. So, so depending on how far you want to take your music career, your goals will be right there aligned with you. That makes wonderful sense. I really appreciate the way you have structured this and the the way that your your values are the artist having responsibility and control of his or her own work and that you have to to do the work yourself that it it's a matter of building relationships with your audience it all makes good sense and feels like good human being too so um, (laughs) thank you (laughs) I I, I, I like the way you think thank you um so anything else that you want to tell people in conclusion I think the biggest thing would be for artists to to think about their fans first because at the end of the day that will actually help you reach your goals right if you become a fan-centric person which essentially you place the fan as the most important thing in your universe, you'll start gaining a lot more fans and you'll start gaining a lot more of your goals and streams and, and sell more merch and stuff like that. And it's also really interesting because if you don't pay attention to your fans and if you're not fan centric, then your music literally just remains like your music. So, you know, so you actually have to take into account the fans are what make your career and place a huge importance on them first. And I would tell every artist, you know, that's listening to stop worrying and chasing the marketers and stop chasing the playlisters and stop chasing all these other services that you think you want. All you really want is a strong core fan base. And for that, you don't need any money. You don't need any resources. All you need is a phone, an Instagram account or a Facebook or TikTok or whatever social media you use. And uh, everything that we just talked about in here, which is knowing who they are and resonating to them. That's my biggest, I think my biggest key takeaway. So thank you so much for having me, Liz. This was amazing. My thanks to Isabella Bedoya. You can find out more about her and all of her resources in the show notes. 
I invite everyone to tell me what you've always wanted to try. And please take a moment to fill out a brief survey so I can find out more about you. You'll find it at lizsumner.com survey. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find us. I'm Liz Sumner, reminding you to be bold. And thanks for listening. Thank you.